0: Hello and welcome to Have You Seen It? I'm Emily. And I'm Ned. And each week we'll take you on a three-part cinematic adventure. We will be reviewing something currently in cinemas.
1: A past or present wild card,
0: And something hot on a streaming service. So let us be your cinematic spirit guides.
1: So you can stop scrolling.
0: And start watching.
1: Welcome back to a series two of Have You Seen It? And what a summer it is for it. It's good to be back.
0: Mad, the fans wanted this and we just had to deliver it for them.
1: Yeah, and I feel this summer, it's particularly blockbustery in a way that I don't know if we've seen in a while because I feel it's the first blockbuster summer with lots of big films coming out. Mm -hmm. where one of them hasn't been Marvel.
0: Yeah, which is huge. And it's it's nice to see, like, I don't know about you, but booking cinemas over the last few weeks, it's been, like, quite hard because screenings are sold out and people are really excited to go to the cinema. Also, it's raining a lot, so that's also good because people actually want to go to the cinema.
1: Three big films that have come out are Mission Impossible, Mm -hmm. which we'll be talking about today, Barbie and Oppenheimer. Yep. And something I find exciting about that is that, uh, okay, one of them is a toy advert, but only one is a franchise in a series. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is Mission Impossible, which is a franchise I love. But I have not yet seen Mission Impossible. Dead Reckoning Part One. I think that the Mission Impossible series is one of the most underrated, even though they're huge draws. Yeah. In that they like solidly put out at least eight out of ten films. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Have you rewatched any for this one?
0: I haven't actually. I feel like the, I saw the last one, which feels like it was quite recent, but it probably wasn't that recent. It's like five years ago. I've, I've not even seen that one. That's meant to be the best one. Yeah, that one was very good. I, I think with Mission Impossible, it's like all bangers all the time. Like yeah. the-,
1: the first one was this 90s post-Cold War, don't trust anyone, almost Le esque kind of quite yeah. dark thing. The next one was this early noughties um, Ang Lee, quite arty, really over the top, really silly, but quite fun as a, as a piece, that kind of Die Another Day era of like OTT yeah. stuff third one was grounded post-born identity Philip Seymour Hoffman was a villain a really good villain then fourth one they started building up franchise a little bit but I have not seen the latest one I don't know anything about the latest one yeah. does it live up to my excitement
0: yes I mean absolutely it does and I think it's with all these action films like it's worth buying a ticket to see it in the cinema because it's such an experience and it's so over the top and ridiculous the premise is that everyone's you know favorite ethan hunt is back to save the world but this time it's from a malicious ai so it's tapping into all of that fear around ai and what that means for humans and robots and all this kind of thing but essentially ethan hunt needs to find the two halves of this cruciform key that gives the holder the power to control this ai and so that's the mission which he chooses to accept but to get to those two halves of the key he's got to fight every tom dick and harry going so that the key doesn't fall into the wrong hands so you've got you know cia agents you've got bounty hunters you've got just you know government agencies you've got just general rogues all fighting for these two pieces of the key whilst the AI itself is taking on more and more power and becoming a sort of baddie in its own right as well. I um, uh, I don't I don't know if I love
1: AI as a villain. I, partly because I find all of the stuff about AI so ridiculous at the moment. Mm-hmm. Like, I just don't, you know, it's like, yeah. oh, AI and climate change. It's like, mm, the world <laughs> is actually burning and all AI is doing is writing corporate emails. So I'm not
0: that worried yeah. yet. So ca- caveat that there is a um, human representative of the AI who is someone from Hunt's past who kind Ooh, of interesting. represent, wow. I, I won't spoil it for you, but he kind of comes back and he is the, the AI's man on the ground, essentially um
1: i um so. i hope he is philip seymour hoffman because that would be a real twist
0: ai really doing its thing yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> died several years ago <laughs> it sounds so if i'm taking my thing about the different mission impossible films bringing out the best of the the action trend of a moment it yeah. sounds a lot like john wick
0: yes john wick is like everyone's coming for john wick but john wick's trying to do something great and it's it's not as silly as John Wick. Like, no one's getting killed with a pencil or, like, falling down the steps of the Sacrica like a hundred times or, you know, but but it, there is that sort of John Wick element to it, definitely.
1: And, like, that's not a bad thing, I don't think, because the John no. Wick films are Excellent. really good action films, yeah. if quite violent and uh, really stupid. Yeah. The cast doesn't have all, all the favourites, Simon Pegg and Rebecca Ferguson, all of them
0: back. Mm. Yeah, so you've got, obviously, Tom Cruise back. You've got, like you say, Rebecca Ferguson. You've got Simon Pegg. Um, new edition of Hayley Atwell, obviously British actress, uh, who we love to see. Um, Vanessa Kirby yeah. re- reprising her baddie role, and she is fantastic. They, they just seem like they're having a great time. And sometimes in films, that translate into, translates into being quite annoying. But in this, they just work as such a great team. And Hayley Atwell's this thief, a bit of a uh, sexy ingenue character, who is out for herself but also there's a bit of a bit of something there with Hunt so Ooh, yeah. um it all it all comes together really nicely and, and, and as a cast they're all completely throwing themselves into it and the result is amazing
1: what would you rate it out of 10 this is a very straightforward question we don't usually ask but I'm, yeah I'm, I feel with such a I feel with such a blockbuster like this which is for everyone. Yeah. I feel that it's almost quite easy to give it an objective score.
0: Yeah. I mean, I don't want to say 10, but like 9.5. Yeah, because it's got everything. So the thing that you're watching Mission Impossible for is like, it's a bit camp, it's a bit silly, but the stunts and the action are unbelievable. Um, Obviously Tom Cruise does a lot of them himself. There's an incredible one that he did in real life where he rides a motorbike off a mountain and like parachutes off it. So, and like, he's doing that all himself. There's no stunts. Um, the the locations, you know, he's running across the roof of Abu Dhabi airport. Um, and then you're in Rome, you're going car chases down the Spanish steps. You're fighting all over Venice. They have a big party at the Doge's palace. Like, I mean, it, it's just, it's got everything. There's a bit of romance, there's drama. There's these beautifully choreographed fight scenes and it's all a bit tongue in cheek. When's the next one out? So I think it's out, it says June 28th, 2024. So about a year away, depending on the writer's strikes. I mean, not the, not the writer strikes, but the strikes in general, I imagine, will have some impact on all of the content we talk about going forward. But um, next year sometime.
1: I remember the last one in 2005, 2006. Yeah. You go back to... Great TV series of that era and films. Um, Quantum of Solace was one of the reasons Quantum of Solace is bad, essentially, or like is a bit of a mess, is that the writers went on strike. So Daniel Craig and the director had to stitch it together with what they had.
0: Yeah, you can really tell, can't you?
1: I'm guessing if they filmed these double up because we've waited about five years they've, they've yeah. doubled up the filming of this
0: but i think because everyone's striking because it's 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 sag AF, AFTRA, isn't it so it's like the actors it's everyone to do with everything so if the post houses for example are also striking that's going to have an impact uh and then like oh, the distribution wow. um but yeah I, I imagine it will be next year but i think what's also really interesting about this film is that it's a part one so it's like june or any of the other films and it does feel like a cohesive piece of cinema like you could probably just watch it and be like that was a great film by itself yeah even though there's no resolution as long as tom cruise wants to make these films i'm there watching them you can't imagine anyone else doing the role he's in his 60s like he is incredible and like the energy yes he is the energy and the enthusiasm that he's bringing to it is crazy
1: oh my god he's 61 yeah that is amazing and he's still doing stunts honestly watch
0: watch. you can google the video of him doing the stunt for this film and it's it's a thing of beauty like honestly
1: well i mean i suppose the big question question on everyone's lips that they've been waiting months to to hear how much would you pay at the uh the the, have you seen it screening have you screened (sighs) it It doesn't
0: work (laughs) have you screened it so I, I would pay. So we, I went to see this at the Battersea Power Station in New Cinema and I paid a very princely sum to go and see it. I think it was like 16 or 17 pounds. I would pay that again. I think you need to see this film in a great setting because that's what these popcorn films are made for. They're not made to be watched on your tiny TV on Netflix. It's the sound. It's the high quality image. It's the collective gasps while everyone's enjoying it. So yeah, I'd pay full price at a nice cinema. Sold. Okay, so moving on to Ned's pretentious pick. What did you select for us this week, Ned?
1: So, I selected a film called Nostalgia.
0: Firstly, where can people watch it? And secondly, why? Why did you choose this?
1: I'm gonna give listeners a peek behind the curtain, peek behind the iron curtain. We deliberately choose films for the pretentious pick that you don't have to buy, so maybe people can see or whatever. Uh, this has potentially changed our policy around that. And I'll, this goes into why I picked it. We've been going through you know, classic directors, so we've done Fellini and we're doing Goddard at some point, and we're, we're going through these big classic foreign films, and Tarkovsky is one of the like, biggest legends in cinema but very few of his films are available for free. There was a choice of two, two of his films that we could watch for free on Freevie on Amazon Prime. One was a three hour epic called uh, Andrei Rublev, which was black and white film about a 17th century Russian icon artist. Or there was Nostalgia, which is, Also about an artist, it's about a writer going to Italy to read, basically discover the life of a 17th century, uh, made-up 17th century musician who lived in Italy, Russian musician who lived in Italy. I was like, well, this is the only Tarkovsky film that we can really get, so let's watch it. Now, Emily, did you enjoy it?
0: (laughs) I... Mm. I didn't enjoy it. Enjoy would be a strong word. I struggled with this film, Ned. I'm not going to lie to you. It it pushed me to the edge of something. Yeah. It's a fascinating piece of art and an interesting man, uh, but in terms of enjoyment, it was the enjoyment was low. Like I struggled, like for sure. Did you enjoy it? Uh I think
1: that I probably have a similar opinion to you. Um th- what I felt, okay. So, in terms of our tent poles of pretentiousness, it's yeah. oh, just over two hours long, but it's just over two hours. It is kind of long dream sequence. I think maybe we should add dream sequences in. Long dream sequences, hyper realistic.
0: Yeah. Although dream it's sequences su- are, are like traditionally la- lazy, like having like dream sequences, flashbacks, these are all lazy methods of storytelling. But in something yeah. like this, Obviously, it was intrinsic to the narrative, but it's interesting well, that, like traditionally, it's it's hashtag lazy.
1: I mean, Sorry, the dream sequences were probably more interesting than the non-dream sequences. Um, subtitled, mm-hmm. and it's not black and white, but it's no. shot in an amazing way where you're never quite sure whether a shot is black and white or uh, or has color, which is kind of the best thing about the film. But yeah, this has changed our policy in picking pretentious pick films because actually probably should have just, if we wanted to watch a Tarkovsky film, probably should have watched uh, Solaris or Stalker or one of his like mid-era classics that are more accessible rather than a film that he made um, kind of mirroring his own exile from Russia, which I didn't realise when I started watching it I was like, oh, it's about an artist in Italy. I didn't realise, A, the the Russian writer, the Russian musician that this Russian writer is trying to explore didn't exist. I didn't Mm -hmm. realise that Tarkovsky had been essentially exiled from Soviet Russia by 1983, and I think was already quite unwell. Mm -hmm. So I didn't realise this was like semi-autobiographic.
0: Oh my God, it's it's almost too personal. Like I think some, for me, it's an incredibly inaccessible story because it's, so personal to, like, a yeah. level of meta-ness that is, as just, like, the average Joe, you're like, I don't know what's going on, but this guy's having a rough time. <laughs> like, yeah,
1: it got... Did did you like it more as it went on? No. Um, <laughs> Not the stuff about the guy who locked his family in the, in the house? <laughs>
0: yeah, that was really uplifting. No, I thought, visually, I enjoyed the visuals, I thought it was beautifully done. But I think the style of filmmaking is incredibly observational. And it, it's a lot of like very long takes. It's a lot of, yeah. you know, from a, it, there's not a lot of close ups. You're not getting to know these characters intimately through their expressions, or it's very much just like watching the action. So you never really get to know these characters other than they're having a shit time existentially Mm. it's it it almost felt like a sort of stream of consciousness
1: yeah I it's so beautiful that there were moments where I was like completely transfixed with like Mm. the visual storytelling but I'm not sure the storytelling storytelling ever particularly engaged me other than the thing about the man who locked his family away like that's the only bit where I kind of got a bit of a hook yeah into what the story was trying to beat but at that point i had also stopped watching it and looked a bit up about it because i didn't really know what was going on yeah do you think it would be any better in a cinema
0: (sighs) i don't know i feel like maybe maybe because i did get a bit distracted while i was watching it because i was was like i don't know what's going on this is sad um whereas if you're watching it on a screen captive audience maybe it would be more impactful and it would hold your attention, and also the music is very beautiful. So I feel like yeah. if you had the right speaker, like the right sound, to bring it to life, like maybe that's important as well. Would you watch other Tark- Tarkovsky films? Okay, so I got really into like stalking Tarkovsky, and I was very interested in him as a person. And I think I really, really want to watch Stalker because that film. So Tarkovsky died pretty young um, mm. of some horrific cancer. So the guy who's the main character in this film was replaced because the other guy also died of cancer and they'd all worked on Stalker together somewhere. Yeah,
1: and his wife
0: as well. Yeah, and they'd all worked on this film that was near some power station or something. They'd all been in the water and basically everyone died horrifically young um, because of where they'd shot the film. And I think the film is a weird, like, foreshadowing maybe of, like, Chernobyl or something. Um, So... I would be really interested to watch that because apparently A, it's an incredible piece of filmmaking, but B, it has this really horrible history, which sounds quite morbid, but um Yeah. It's like obviously when I think he made it when he was still in Russia.
1: I quite want to see more of his stuff, and I feel now it's not gonna get more pretentious than this. Yeah. But I might want to try and find a cinema that's showing it. Like yeah. so I don't go on my phone, so I do like actually really get invested
0: for me actually it made me feel a bit sad that um, our attention spans are so short now and i was reading that often the takes that he does are like up to, can be up to like three minutes like for a continuous yeah. shot whereas in most feature films now it's like a couple of seconds and i was like the fact that i'm struggling because of the like pace of this makes me feel quite sad
1: I kept missing the rare bits of dialogue. I kept missing it because I'd gone on my phone. I'm like, "Don't be an idiot! It's not a film heavy on dialogue, and ev- <laughs> every single line matters." Like, yeah. don't go on your phone, and it's subtitled, <laughs> so I can't. Yeah. Um, but I do want to watch more of his films. It's not—it's not put me off
0: at no. all. No. Yeah, interestingly, and me neither.
1: I'm going to say never say never rewatching it. Yeah. Certainly, I'm quite intrigued, and I've been reading about it a lot. Clearly, so so have you. So. It's clearly got some impact, but yeah. it's just not fun. No. It's kind of the but, opposite of Mission Impossible.
0: Yeah, and I, exactly. But it's interesting because I was reading about the, obviously a lot of like subsequent filmmakers have been really inspired by his work and you can see a lot of that, like people like Lars von Trier, like I don't know if you've ever seen Melancholia, mm. like that's very like painful and meandering, but beautifully done. Even says, like, film like Christopher Nolan, even so, for all the Oppenheimer viewers, like, you can see that sort of in his work as well, Um, as well as people like Terence Malick. So, they're definitely, it's, 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 it's worth watching and like understanding about his journey as a filmmaker, I think, if you're looking at like the canon of film history. But um,
1: yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't rush back. And where and have you seen it, film school? Um, what point and have you seen it, film school? Should you watch it?
0: I mean, I don't know. Like this is this is some <laughs> executive level business. Like it's it's pretty
1: advanced. Masters end of your module on uh, Soviet filmmaking.
0: Yeah, agree.
1: Or like a PhD on filmmaking and like color palettes. Um, On Soviet
0: cinema, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Finally, we've got the Buzzy pick. We've got the What's Hot and Streaming Services pick. And what have you chosen for us this week, Emily?
0: So this week I have chosen The Witcher. Um, Obviously season three has come out recently. Season three, part one. I wish I'd stopped stop doing this and just release it all at once so we can binge it like the hungry kids that we are. Sci-fi, well, sci-fi, fantasy, whatever you want to call it, this is, this is what the fans want when it comes to a streamer. What's it about? So I looked up the tagline of what the internet would say how to describe The Witcher, and it says, so Geralt of Rivia, played by Henry Cavill, is a, yes. a mutated monster hunter or a witcher, um, who is for hire, and he journeys, it says here, toward his destiny in a turbulent world where people often prove more wicked than beasts. So basically, Geralt, played by Henry Cavill, is a witcher, which basically means he hunts monsters for money. That is the base narrative. But also, you have all this other stuff going on with him being connected to these other people and helping um, dictate the destiny of the entire realm in which they live.
1: Yes, Uh, like his fate is tied to a princess whose fate is tied to a prophecy about the end of the world. I think nowadays, maybe post Game of Thrones, people are looking for these very intellectual over the top readings. But actually it's a bit more like Buffy. There's a monster of the week that he has to kill. If you went Buffy, you're like, oh, well, she's killing vampires because her fate is tied to the Hellmouth in Sunnydale. And like there's demons and all that stuff comes later. Like realistically, it's about somebody killing monsters. And he's this kind of very gruff loner who's because of his mutations hated by humankind, but loved by the ladies. Do you find do you like the setting?
0: Yeah, so I really I, I'm a big fan of Game of Thrones, Lord of the Rings, um, any fantasy world that you would care to name. It for me, it just like takes all those boxes in terms of it's it's weird because it, it's one of those ones where it's like a, it's a bit medieval the setting, right? Like that's yeah. the sort of vibe. But then you obviously have the witches and the elves and the humans.
1: Do you know the original series of books were Polish? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Because I think that adds a really interesting thing. And I'm really into my Polish history. In the 1300s, 1600s, 1700s, Poland, Lithuania was the biggest empire in Europe. So it's something we don't really know about now. But it was really, it's a really atmospheric time and place for Polish people. Mm -hmm. And if you know a bit about that period, it actually really evokes that because it was a very multicultural, multi-ethnic Uh, period of history within the Polish Lithuanian Commonwealth. You had the Poles, the Lithuanians, obviously, but then you had loads of Ukrainians. Mm -hmm. And then you had a lot of the cities were very Jewish, were kind of 40, 50% Jewish, a lot of Germans. And this world, one of the interesting things about the world is this ethnic tension between elves, dwarves and humans. So I think is quite influenced by the writers' knowledge of their own country. Um, Do you think the performances are good?
0: Yeah, I think they're great. I think Henry Cavill is amazing as The Witcher. He is big and hench, but also he's got that, like, he's like an onion. He's got the layers, like, he's a Mm. bit soft. He, um, yeah, he, he does that, like, gruff, like, thing really well. But then I think also the supporting cast. I think the guy uh, you—I don't think he's in the first episode—but the bard who kind of comes along with Geralt is really, really a really funny, like comedic presence as well. Um, yeah, as well one as... of the
1: big differences between the books and the uh, game was that the game was quite a lot more serious than the books. Uh, um, okay. And the books, I think, were very irreverent. And what I've read online is that the programmers made everyone happy because it's kept the irreverence of the yeah. the books whilst bringing in the kind of slightly more the, like action and the visuals of the the game
0: yeah for sure and like it is pretty heavy like there's a lot of monster slaying but then there's that wink wink nudge nudge yeah funny comments which is very yeah really strikes that balance um I think that the two kind of Female characters are fantastically done. So Siri is really good, who is princess, I guess, and she's played by Freya Allen. And then there's also Yennefer of Ven- Vengerberg, who is played by Anya Charlotra, and she's incredible. And it's, it's it's really good to see these women in these really like strong, like powerful roles. Like neither of them are damsels in distress. They're both, you know, doing all the action scenes. They're both these kind of very strong female presence rather than yeah. just being rescued by Geralt. Like they're like a team with him.
1: Do you find the tits and violence excessive?
0: <laughs> so the first couple of seasons are quite saucy. There yeah. is, is, we're not talking Game of Thrones here. We're talking like a level below that.
1: Would you recommend it to a non-fantasy fan?
0: I don't know if it's the most accessible because although like season one does set up the world quite well, it then starts getting into the like the law of surprise or whatever where that Mm. then becomes a bit more layered and you get all the other fantasy characters coming in a lot of people just instantly if they're like oh i hate lord of the rings like i don't like fantasy and i'm like just give it
1: give it a go the the first scene is him being in a fight with a massive multi-legged monster so i think from the the very first scene i think they're saying to people this is the show Like, it is going to have big monsters. This isn't Game of Thrones pretending to be real life and bringing in a dragon halfway through Series 2. Here's a dragon. Yeah. Enjoy the show.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I would encourage people to try it, even if they don't like fantasy, because I think Mm. it is a good show and it's entertaining. But I feel like a lot of people will be turned off just straight away because as soon as they see that monster, they're like, ugh, I don't like monsters. But I would I would encourage people to give it a go because it is fantastic. It is a we we should also acknowledge the fact that this is Henry Cavill's last season, um, mm-hmm. which is disastrous because he's gonna be replaced by Liam Hemsworth. Mm. The less good Hemsworth. Yeah, the apparently is a lot of things because Henry Cavill was meant to be doing this marvel this, you know, superhero stuff, but that DC hasn't happened. Stuff, yeah. Um and then everyone's like, oh, he's gonna be Bond. I don't think he'd be a good Bond. I think he's a good Witcher and they should just keep him here. <laughs>
1: So we're bringing out "Have You Seen It?" Bingeable ice cream. Um, how much of the "Have You Seen It?" Bingeable ice cream tub? How bingeable is this?
0: Oh, like like three quarters. Yeah,
1: three quarters of a tub. Okay, not a whole tub. Yeah,
0: like you wouldn't finish the whole thing because you might start to feel a bit sick. Do you give it your best shot? I do think I've got to say that the first two seasons I found really bingeable. This latest season. I don't know if Cavill's just given up or whatever, it's not as good. And oh, so really? I found this season less bingeable. Um, and I like okay. I'm like, oh, the new season's come, like the next half's coming, but I'm not like marking it on my calendar, getting really pumped for it. I'm like, ugh, it yeah, kind of feels it's like always it's always
1: hard when you know something's coming to an end like this, isn't it? Like yeah. it's always hard to motivate yourself, I think. Unless it's like building to the end.
0: That is everything for today. If you like what you've heard, don't forget to give us a like, follow and subscribe and follow us on Instagram at haveyou.seenit.